You never know what people are going through. You never know what, where they're at on their journey. Let them also open up to you. Be self-aware, but be willing to listen when someone is willing to talk. What would you do all over again and why? I'm Natalie Carpenter, women's health and fertility advocate, dot connector, and former corporate brand warrior. Each week, join me in candid conversation with an inspiring public figure who boldly shares their real-life stories of adversity, impact, and what they did next, and if they would do it all over again, knowing what they know now. Welcome to the All Over Again podcast. Kate Luzio is the founder and CEO of Luminary, a global membership-based professional education and networking platform created to uplift, upskill, and propel women forward through all phases of their professional journey. Kate is a highly sought-after keynote speaker for organizations including Verizon, JPMorgan Chase, BlackRock, and many others, as well as speaks at high-profile events including Verizon 100 Women's Leaders and Yelp Women in Business. If Kate had to do it all over again, she would think twice about getting married to her former spouse and not limiting the concept of motherhood in its traditional context. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for joining us today. I cannot wait to dive in. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little getting over this crazy flu cold that everybody seems to have had. It's just lingering. I think that's part of being an entrepreneur and I'm not letting myself rest, but um, I'm feeling much better than I was last week. It's like this season of ongoing sickness. So I feel you. (laughs) I know it's crazy. Hopefully we're getting warmer weather and out of that. Yes, exactly. Right. And unfortunately we can't do that all over again, but I do want to talk about the things (laughs) that we may or may not want to do all over again. And let's start with, is there something that you would do all over again or not do all over again and why? I probably would not have gotten married to my ex-husband. As painful as that sounds, and we had a, you know, not a very long marriage, but a long enough marriage, I think I probably jumped into it too quickly and was not thinking the right way and and probably should have protected myself in a lot of different ways, emotionally, financially. And so, yes, we had some good experiences, but it's not that I regret it. But if I had to pick something to do all over again, that would probably be it. Although I learned a lot from it too. So I guess hindsight, right? We always seem to learn the most from the things that feel the hardest. And divorce seems a lot like a death. Did that feel like that for you? It did mainly more, I mean, and again, no offense to him, but when I, when we got divorced or when we decided to to, to divorce, it was, I really missed his family. I was grieving the loss of the relationships that I had with his family because his family was, was really incredible. I loved his sister dearly, my in-laws, my brother-in-law. And so for me, it was, and I still miss them. And, and, you know, we're many years on from that divorce, but I still miss them. They were a big part of my life. They, they were a loving family. And I think for me, that was the, that grieving was around losing this extended family that I had built with them. And I still miss them to this day. That's really hard. And through that relationship, 
I know that you two had been through a lot together. And one of the things that you had contemplated during that time was expanding your family. Can you share a little bit about that journey and what it looked like? Again, hindsight, right? You think, well, let me, and I would encourage any young woman that even if they think, oh, my family planning is way off, it's it's get yourself checked now and, and think about, you may not think about it right today, but plan ahead. And I just automatically assumed that when we got married, that it would just happen, that I was meant to be a mom. And as soon as we started trying that it would happen, and it was like, no. Now, I was already about 35 at that point and had never thought about egg freezing. It just wasn't, I just didn't even think about it. I had a very busy job and it wasn't happening. Now, I was living in the UK at the time in London and we went to the fertility clinic and they automatically went right to IVF, right? Like you're already 35, you're geriatric and I use air quotes there, but we had to figure out, is that what we wanted to do? And for me, it was like, absolutely. Like I want to be a mom and this is the way forward. So that's what's going to happen. And again, no offense to him. I think that, you know, I took a lot of that on emotionally as well as financially And I bore the brunt of a lot of that first round. And when it didn't work as a, you know, type A overachiever, it was like, okay, well, I just got to go to the next round. And and I think also the fertility clinic was probably encouraging that like, well, we just got to keep trying. And so five rounds later, and it it just, it it didn't work. And now I found out it would never work. It took a huge toll on my life, our relationship, but it also was very eye-opening around how we dealt with it as a couple, how we dealt with it individually. And I think in my mind, I had a limit because you just can't keep doing it forever. I mean, it's there's so much trauma and you know this, Natalie, associated with this. But I think in his mind, and I'm speaking on his behalf, it was just like, well, you'll just keep doing it until it works at all costs. And after five rounds, it was like, you know, this is not working. I I need a break. And in that break time, also realized that I think the marriage needed a break and then went to a doctor and they basically told me that I would never be able to get pregnant. So part of that was regret too. Like, whoa, I spent all of this money, all of this time, all this emotion for five rounds that would never have worked. But I also think it made me really strong. And the fact that I could get through all of that and persevere and and come out the other side has shown me kind of a whole new light on just motherhood and and what it can look like. And I remember, and I think I told you this one of the first times we met, my mom is an amazing human and my mom is the most encouraging, uplifting optimist, eternal optimist. And she said after I think my second round, you know, maybe the way you're looking at motherhood is the wrong way. Maybe you can become a mother in a different way than just the traditional route. And I remember rolling my eyes, probably getting very angry and hanging up the phone and saying, well, of course you can say that you're a mom. And that's actually evolved into really thinking about me as a mother figure in a different way. First of all, I love that your mom said that. And I think we've all been there. We feel like we're getting unsolicited advice, but your mom knew you on a different core level, right? And I do want to talk about all things motherhood, but one thing that struck me that you shared was that you were going down the path and with your ex-husband of pursuing a family 
at all costs. And what it really cost you, it sounds like too, was the relationship because nothing is spared, right? Nothing is spared when you go through the trauma of infertility and you see all of the cracks that you may not have seen before. Did that start happening for you? And, and what was going through your mind? Absolutely. The first round, I immediately saw, and again, everyone has flaws, right? So this is not just about him, but I just immediately saw the way that we were handling even the initial appointments was so completely different. In my mind, the way he perceived it was, this is your job, right? You're the woman. This is your problem. Your body's not cooperating, so you have to fix it. And you internalize a lot of that. You already feel as a woman pressure, right? Societal pressure. I've got to be a mom. I've got to procreate. I have this, you know, very big job in life and now I can't do this. And then the person that's supposed to be your partner is, is sort of putting that also on you. That showed initially those cracks that, again, hindsight, I'm kind of glad that we went through that because then I saw what it would be like to have a family. And it was at the supportive partner that I thought that I was going to have. That's telling, right? It's telling to say like, wow, this is the kind of not just partner you're going to be, but parent. It's like the foresight. I feel like infertility makes or breaks a relationship truly in so many ways. We talked a bit just a few minutes ago and also in person about motherhood. We've talked so much about motherhood. I remember right around National Infertility Awareness Week or we were talking about infertility. I think I just discovered that you'd come out with your story and I was like, oh my gosh, me too. I'm in it with you. And I loved how transparent and how you continue to be so transparent about all of your experiences and particularly with infertility. And I remember talking about your perception of motherhood and also how from the exterior, I perceived you and I thought others perceived you as this amazing mom to this beautiful growing baby of a business luminary. And all of these women and men that come to luminary in person, virtually, to find community in so many ways, not just as a workspace, but to find community. And I, I really felt like, wow, Kate, you were born to be a mom. You are the best mom ever. I mean, look at what you've grown. Tell us a bit about when you realized that you wanted to birth your luminary baby. I honestly don't know if there was a, a moment. I think for me, I'm an all-in kind of person. So once I get an idea in my head, I give a lot of credit to side hustlers and people that can do multiple things. I'm not one of those. I, I kind of, okay, this is what I'm doing and, and I'm in a thousand percent. When I wrote the business plan and then decided, okay, this is what I'm doing, I just go into execution mode. So I'm not having reflection or inflection about the business. I'm just focused on, I got to execute. And I think even over the last four and a half years that I've been doing this, I still don't give my time to reflect and say, oh my gosh, look at all these incredible people until someone says to me, which happens on a regular basis, hey, this is what I've gotten out of Luminary, or this is what's happened in my life, or 
this is the job I got or the promotion or the money I raised. So for me, I guess it's like when a kid would say to their mom or their dad, like when they finally go, you know, thank you for all of the things that you've done for me, mom and dad, or thanks for paying for my college or whatever the, those thanks are. It takes some time. And I think for me as the, as the mom, right, who birthed this business, I think I wasn't ready to kind of accept that that was my baby until probably after we got through that that initial part of the pandemic and knew that we were going to knock on wood be okay. But every time I hear someone say whether and again, it has nothing to do with necessarily to do with me, but if they're commenting about some impact that Luminary as a community or a company has had on that, that makes me feel so proud, right? And it's just looking at motherhood in a different way. I also have these 10 incredible nieces and nephews that I have in my life that, you know, I have just given everything I possibly can to making their lives better as an aunt. And so for me, I still have to get comfortable with I'm never going to be a mom. And, you know, it, it's hard and it's hard. In a on traditional mother's sense. Yeah. In a traditional sense. Yes. Yes. And I'm, I'm a mother figure. I have, my partner is incredible and he's got three adult children and two grandchildren. So, and I have a very special relationship with those grandchildren. And so it's just different, right? I, my mom is so wise, right? So she just knew early on that, uh, you know, even if it didn't work out the way I thought, there's lots of ways to think about a motherhood. And I have so many friends with children that I absolutely love and invest time in. And Maybe that's the way God wanted it. I think the way that you support so many people that you don't even know, right? Through Luminary, right? Because you've got so many members at this point. But also your family is truly so beautiful. It's incredible. I think there are so many people out there that are trying so hard to become moms in the traditional avenues or have just said, forget it. I'm no longer going down that path and I have to wrap my head around being childless, not by choice. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Knowing what you know now, how do you feel about being childless, not by choice? And what counsel would you share with others that are thinking about going that path too, or are are pressed to go that path? Right, right. Because they don't have that choice. You know, it's an evolution, right? I don't, I think that I'll always be sad. There's a big part of me that will always be sad that I wasn't a mom, like again, in the traditional sense that I don't have biological or even adopted whatever kids of my own that, that I've raised. I, I know that. And I know that all of my other choices to build business and I have an incredible partner with a, with a, a family already that doesn't ever take away the fact that in my heart, you know, there is going to be a pull. What I have to do and what I would counsel people is don't hold it in. You know, I held it in for so long. And, and part of that was shame that I couldn't be successful at becoming a, you know, a mother in that traditional sense. Part of that was society sort of already putting that on me, like people meeting me and saying immediately the second thing, you know, what do you do? Oh, do you have to show, you know, how old are your children? That is really difficult. It's a difficult conversation to have. It puts the person on, you know, for me, it was very, it is always still very traumatic. It's also very 
I have to share that I don't have. And I always, I, I constantly feel the need to have to, to rationalize it. Well, I can't have kids because there is that, still that shame. So for me, it's having conversation, sharing it, listening to other people's stories and learning that everybody's journey is different. And for me, sharing even, you know, those first day of school week, that is a really hard time for me because everyone, I love seeing everyone's kids and my nieces and nephews, but it's like, okay, there's that hole in my heart. But talking about it, that helps me, right? And what also helps me is making sure that I am investing time in my baby, which is Luminary, my nieces and nephews, my, you know, my partner's grandchildren. That's filling that hole. And I think over time, hopefully that hole, maybe it doesn't go away, but the pain is lessened a little bit. But talking about it, I mean, you and I have talked about it so many times, that helps. You know, don't hold it in and you never know who you, you're going to help by talking about it. Thousand percent. And as you hit on it, that the weight of shame is beyond heavy. And when you hold it all in, it feels unbearable. And there's so much self-talk about, at least for me, it was like, what's wrong with me? I don't want anyone to see that I'm an alien. I don't want anyone, especially <laughs> because, you know, it's very like, I have all these things to prove. And I really felt like I turboed my type A during that time. Totally. I, I'm still this way, <laughs> but I'm, I'm noticing now that correlation between where I became type A turbo. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And it's interesting because as we, we talk about these things, I, I think there's also some education that needs to happen too for people we don't know, for friends, for family to understand that some of these things that they say, some of the things that they say, like, oh, do you, do you plan on having children or do you plan on having more or whatever they are saying to, to you or me or anybody else is something that when we walk away from the conversation, we still continue to think about. And so what's something for you? Like if there was something that you could share, a PSA with others around what not to say, what would it be to anyone around children? So I think it's hard. I, th I think people by, you know, again, going back to my mom, I think she's instilled in me that by nature, most people are good, right? And they, they're not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. I think right. oftentimes when you're in these social settings, that, that they, that's something that they try to connect on and talk about. So on the one hand, I've had to get comfortable with, with giving a response, right? And being comfortable with that response. So for example, hey, do you have children? No, I'm not able to have children biologically. So no, I don't. I'm not blessed with children. Now, that conversation can go two ways. They get very like thrown off and then it's an immediate like move on to another topic or they could actually ask more. And that's how you can learn to get to know someone. Or it may bring up, oh, really? I also struggled and had challenges or went through IVF. And that, and you, you can establish a rapport. I have, I've had that with many women when I say it and then they go, oh my gosh, Oh, thank you for talking about it. I've also struggled. Thank God I've been able to have one. I'm so sorry I went through that. I think there's also this tendency for people just to say, because I'm a woman and you get to a certain age and you're maybe whether you're married or not, oh, you automatically will have children because there are plenty of women that are childless by choice. They don't want to have 
And so I think educating that not everybody is going to have the same path as, you know, your daughter, your granddaughter, whoever's in your life, and that we should respect all different stories, that we should respect different choices. Because Natalie, you know, I mean, when I tell people I, I don't have children and I'm not able to have them, pe- the first thing people will say is, well, you can adopt or their surrogacy. Yikes. Right. So you have to educate them that full stop, like, thanks for your thanks for your recommendations. That's not my path. And everybody should just be okay with that. A thousand percent. I think the takeaway is unsolicited advice is never appreciated. Exactly. And don't ever, well, why, why wouldn't you adopt? Why, you know, if I want to share that with you, I'm going to share, right? You don't need to interrogate. And if I've already told you it was a struggle and maybe I don't want to share, don't keep going in on that because it just agitates that trauma even more. And as you just said, they walk away and never thinking about it again. I now have to think about it for the rest of the day. Right. And it's interesting because as, as an innate fixer at work, right? And, and, and you know this, right? Like you're, you're constantly problem solving and you come from a corporate background. It's a constant, like every day is putting out fires and fixing things. And I think we're almost trained to be these fixers. And so when we meet people and we share our story or they ask the question and we answer very honestly, it makes people certainly uncomfortable. And I think they feel compelled to fix. And it's like, no, 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 I, I don't need you to, to fix it. And by the way, if you're going to tell me to like stand on my head or do all the different things or just relax and go on vacation and all the things that people say, I've already tried that. But thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You think I went through this without doing, not taking a warm bath. And listen, again, I think people, if I were to say, oh, I'm not able to have children and I'm looking for different options. There you go. That's an opening. But I've, I've sort of ended the conversation. Like, let's move on unless I've opened it up. It's the same with any challenges. If it's a health challenge, if it's a divorce, if it's a relationship issue, people don't want to be interrogated. If they are ready to open up, they will give you that opening so that you can then have that dialogue and conversation. So I think a lot of it also is just self-awareness. And speaking of an opening, you just mentioned health. You've been very vocal about your recent health challenges. I remember you sharing that with me, I think it was last year, and and it it caught me by surprise. I thought, wow, oh, okay. You know, it's it's not as though cancer or breast cancer has a type, but you know, you just don't think that it could happen to someone young and vibrant that and that you know, right? So walk us through how you discovered that and how we can support you and others that are are going through treatment. I am the worst at self-care. I I sort of own that and admit it. And and I I do try, but you know, when it comes to checkups pre-pandemic, I think I was doing pretty good, especially I'd gone through all this IVF and then going regular checkups. Pandemic happens and it's an excuse really for everybody, right? It was a pandemic year. And then the next year was like another pandemic year. And so 
two years after the pandemic starts, I, I finally went to the, my gynecologist and, and she's like, you haven't had a mammogram in two years. And I said, yeah, but breast cancer doesn't run in my family and you do yourself checks. And she said, Kate, you've got to take care of yourself. This is preventative. And so I kind of rolled my eyes. She said, no, you're not leaving this appointment until you make an appointment to get your mammogram. And so I did. And just thinking this is an inconvenience and I don't want to do it and it takes so long and it hurts. And then fast forward, you know, 30 days later, I'm getting on a Zoom and I get the call. Hey, you're, you're going to need to come in for a biopsy, which again, I'm thinking in my head, inconvenience. I don't have time for this. And then they called, you know, 24 hours later and said, hi, very, very clinical and with very little bedside manner. You have stage one breast cancer. Here's what you're going to have to do. Here are a number of breast surgeons. Take all these notes down. And then I had to jump on another. I had to literally jump on a Zoom with hundreds of people after that call. And part of me thinks that was a good thing because then I could just not have to process it for a minute. And you know, Erica, our COO, after that, she came into my into the beauty bar at Luminary and she's like, what's wrong? Because she saw me on the Zoom and I told her, she said, all right, pack up, I'm walking you home. Like, there's no reason for you to stay here. You've got to process this. It's all going to be good. She walked me home and I'll never forget that. And, uh, and we hugged and then, and then I went into execution mode. Like, okay, I got to get, I got to call the doctor. I got to get my appointment and then I got to get surgery. So back to that, I, I don't really let myself time to like reflect. And I went into execution mode and within a month of, getting the diagnosis, I had already had surgery and then started treatment. And now in June, it will be a year. And now I'm on daily medication, tamoxifen, which is for anyone out there listening, tamoxifen is the devil. It is the absolute worst medication, but it is, it's both a treatment and it's also preventative. So I'm on now the next five to 10 years will be on this medication to hopefully keep any other, you know, breast cancer at bay. And I didn't share the first couple months, I think I was in that mode of this isn't necessarily happening to me. I'm 47. I'm so young. And then I started to, to really understand the statistics and that one in eight women, right, get breast cancer and it's happening younger and younger. It's no longer, you know, the grandmothers only that are getting it. And so for me now, it's about becoming an advocate around awareness that you've got to go and get yourself checked from a breast ultrasound or a mammogram. If it runs in your family, our health is all we have. And so uh, I just went for my, um, I have to go every three months to my oncologist. And I just went on Friday for a very long appointment. And they were very proud of me for not missing anything. They're like, you're prioritizing. And that's what we have to do. That's amazing. So is it technically remission at this point? And the medicine keeps things at bay? Yeah. And then we just have to keep checking. I mean, the, the challenge and anyone that's out there that's on tamoxifen knows there's just so many side effects. And part of that can be other cancers that it, it can be a cause of because it's, it's pumping all these hormones into you for your, for your breasts. And so the rest of your body is like, whoa, what do I do with all this extra? And so there are like very high risks around that. So you have to be extremely proactive but I'm in New York City and I'm in one of the best cities in the world for care. I better take that privilege, right, and prioritize my health. And I think that's that's sort of, for me, I get it. It's an inconvenience. It's a couple hours out of the day. But in the grand scheme of things, it will save your life. 
And, and by the way, even if you don't have big boobs, it doesn't matter. I've talked to so many people. They're like, well, I don't even really have boobs. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Men get breast cancer too. They don't have that technically have boobs. So you just have to like everything in life, especially as we get older is prioritize our health because you want to be around. I want to be around for my nieces and nephews and my partner's grandchildren and my partner. I want to have a very long life. And so I think this was a big wake up call for me to make sure that I am taking care of myself, but that I'm also talking again, goes back to storytelling, right? About fertility, about becoming or not becoming a mother. This storytelling is really important. My doctor actually said to me, Natalie, I said, I would love to have you come and speak at Luminary. And she said, no one wants to hear me. I'm a doctor. They don't listen to me. They listen to you because they say, I can identify with that, right? That storytelling is so important. So I'm, I'm very much this advocate of making sure just everyone is aware that this could happen. It's not just breast cancer. It's lots of different things, but women are susceptible to a lot. I got the chills so many times while you, while you were talking just now, so many times. It's so true, first of all, that it's worth it to take a few hours out of your life rather than losing your whole life. And with that said, are there any resources that you would share with our listeners? If you're going through this at all, one of the, the best, so we have a member out in Wisconsin, um, one of our digital members who, I don't even know how it came up. I think I, we, oh, I know we were in Chicago for our tour. We you know, were popping up on all these cities and she was there, Allie Schwebel. And I think I like left the session for something and she came out and she's like, are you okay? And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm just having a tough time. I I'm going through breast cancer. And she's like, oh my gosh, my, I think it was her mother, her mother-in-law. So long story short, she's like, there's an incredible organization that's based out of the Midwest called ABCD. And the, it stands for after breast cancer diagnosis. I had never heard of it. It's an remarkable nonprofit and they pair you with mentors so that you can deal with whether it's stage zero, stage four, and everything in between, they pair you with someone who's been in your shoes. And so having that person to talk to at ABCD was great because you may feel, well, this isn't as serious as the person next to me that's got stage four or had the double mastectomy. Whatever stage you're in, you're going through that. And so I would say ABCD, I think it's ABC, ABCD.org, but after breast cancer diagnosis, that's what it has been an incredible resource for me. I, I talk about it all the time because I think, you know, it's hard. I, I don't really talk about it to my friends. I don't really talk about it to anybody because they don't know what you're going through. And you also are dealing with it in your own way. And so that organization is a great one, I think. And then there are a lot of members within the Luminary community that have had breast cancer, Kristen Carbone, Tiffany Deba, and others that are great on social that talk about their diagnosis or their remission or the side effects or just the constant worry and anxiety about what, what did I feel something? What's come? Is this what ha, what's happening to my body? Talk about it because lots of people do want to help. And as you're saying, this incredible organization, ABCD is out there for those in the community that are surviving breast cancer. I'm thinking, why isn't there something like this for infertility? And I dare somebody to try to create some sort of mentorship for 
where people are somewhere in the infertility path. Infertility is not life-threatening. It's a completely different ball of wax. I understand that. Both, however, deal with a boatload of mental health. And so in your view, do you feel like breast cancer was the scarier health challenge to your infertility experience? Was there any parallels from a mental health perspective for you that came up in both infertility and during breast cancer? Yeah, the parallels likely were my own issues, feeling like I had to control everything, feeling like I didn't want to be weak and ask for help. And those were, you know, very early on, I think early on in my, in my infertility. I mean, I didn't tell barely anyone that I knew or that I worked with outside of my mom. And I remember after that first round, I had told a lot of people because I was very hopeful and then it didn't happen. And then I just didn't talk about it again. And I think that was probably not the right thing to do. I think I've, I've, I think I've done the same thing with the breast cancer and it's not, it's only when I've opened myself up to the abundance of, of love and guidance and mentorship that I think that I have been able to start moving forward, both on the infertility journey, but then also the health scare and, and being okay with that, you know, I'll have to deal with this kind of worry forever just like I'll have to deal with that hole in my heart about the infertility forever and just creating coping mechanisms for that, being okay with sharing it with people in my life and being okay with that I, I need help. And as that type A overachiever, what's the next milestone? What's the next thing? That's not how life works. And I think it took me really into my 40s to, to understand that. I am still trying to figure it out. So I think this is amazing that you're sharing and you're creating this light for others to share if they feel like it, but either way feel seen. And that is so incredible. I love what you shared earlier about your doctor and sharing that people want to see you. They need your light. And I and so many are grateful that you share your light. and. From the outside, it feels like that has been such a calling for you to be that light, that person, that mother to so many people to guide the way. And these challenges are so hard. And it's interesting because when you said what you would do all over again, it had nothing to do with either of those experiences. And sure, nobody wishes either of those experiences on anyone, but the fact that you own it, you talk about it, and that you use your voice as a platform for so many others is incredible. So Mother Kate, tell us what your hopes and dreams and goals are for you and your baby luminary. I just want to keep building this company for impact, right? I want everybody that touches it, whether they're a member or not, they come in for a day, they come to an event, in whatever city we're in, that they, they, they have the opportunity to experience who we are and the light that's not just about me, but it's about the community itself. I mean, that's what I wanted to build these four and a half years ago when we started. It was 
about a true community kind of uplifting and propelling each other forward. You know, I want to con- I want to continue to build. I want to continue to have that impact. I think, you know, once somebody said to me, you do a lot like without having any wanting anything in return. And this goes back again, my mom, uh, you know, you got to put so much out into the universe and, and hopefully, and I do believe that it will come back to you and hopefully it will come back to me in different ways. It will, the growth of the company, obviously that, that we're still around in several years because it has not been easy throughout a pandemic, but that also for years and years and years to come, somebody says that, you know, they came to an event or they met someone or they, you know, got a new job, whatever that is, that that luminary connection, that luminary light stays with them too for a very long time. Thank you. Every time I talk to anyone about luminary, they know what luminary is all about. And I, I love that. I love that because I've known you, I've known this organization since the beginning and it's beautiful to see how you're growing. And did I see that you're, you're moving into San Diego too? Well, no, we're, we're doing these pop-ups. So we were in eight cities last year and we'll be in eight cities this year. Um, we've already done Miami. We'll be in San Diego in next week. And then we'll be in Houston. We'll be in Cleveland. We'll be in Philly. We'll be in Atlanta. So we're popping up and meeting our members that are not physically here in the New York area, but all around the country And that's just become part of our business model now. And so that we're doing these like large experiences so that we can bring people together no matter where we're physically located. I love how you bring people together. And I'm so grateful that we were brought together by your sister-in-law, actually. Yeah, sister. Yes. Shout out to Jen. Shout out to Jen. (laughs) And also Erica from earlier that you mentioned. Erica is an amazing person too. Amazing human. And... Yeah, I'm so grateful that you're here. And and it's funny, as as you were talking about type A and perfectionism and all of these things, I was thinking, oh my gosh, Kate, I have got to get you a copy of this book that was recently gifted to me. It's called The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control. I've never felt more spoken to. Oh. I'm going to send it to you. Because I was like, oh, see, Kate, see, I feel like that probably speaks to you more than a spa certificate, as awesome as that would be. Totally does. And I'll give you a shout out. So for those of you, I, so I was one of the first people that had COVID here in New York, March of 2020. And Natalie, you helped me through that. You sent me so many packages, if you remember this, of bone broth. That you were like, Kate, you just have to have the bone broth. Like, I know you need liquids. And honestly, that was a game changer because I was sick for like five weeks with COVID and that first strain. And I'll never forget getting this big package. And it was like, whatever, they put all that stuff in there because it's it's a perishable. I'm like, who sent me all this? And it was you. And like, just thinking of, you know, you give back so much to the community with Fertilust and everything. And I think that's why... We connected originally and immediately because we both want to put so much good into the world and in every little step counts. Thank you so much for saying that. Yes, I think I, I was a village apothecary in a former life. I must have been. <laughs> that's my way of fixing now. I think that's probably right. Yes. Good. And it well, I'm glad that I contributed to helping you get better. That that first round was a doozy. I think we all thought the world was going to end. That was very scary. Well, Kate, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here. 
for being an advocate for, for me, for Luminary, for this community of women and men. You're very inclusive, and I appreciate that. It's not just about the women. It's about the guys, too. And I love that you continue to really herald that message. I want to thank you. Do you have any parting words for our friends? No, I would just say, you know, back to what we said in the beginning, you never know what people are going through. You never know what, where they're at on their journey. Let them also open up to you, be self-aware, but be willing to listen when someone is willing to talk. And that's what I've always found with you, Natalie, you're always willing to listen. And I would just say for people out there, if you're going through hell, whatever it is, ask for help. It's okay. None of us do this life alone. So ask for help. And find community. Check out Luminary. And find community, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kate. Thanks, Natalie, so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Over Again podcast. I hope that you learned something from today's episode. If you enjoyed this, please leave a five-star review about All Over Again on Apple Podcasts. Please also let me know what spoke to you about the episode on our social media channels at All Over Again Podcast. I can't wait to hear from you.